A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with them, with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. I've been blessed throughout my ministry to have the gift of friends, clergy friends, not only a part of my own tradition, but a part of other religious traditions as well. 
This week, I thought of my friend Evan, who was a colleague back in Chicago. He was a rabbi at the synagogue just down the street. And we worked together on interfaith weddings and Thanksgiving services, and we taught in each other's congregations with some frequency. Evan loved teaching Christians about Judaism which I always encouraged among the people in my own congregation. I find that when we think about the beliefs of others and take them seriously, we usually end up going deeper with our own faith. I noticed something, though, when Evan would come and teach, something I often found disappointing. Christians are fascinated by the stories and traditions of other faiths. And by comparison, sometimes many of our own stories and traditions are not explored with the same kind of curiosity. It's almost as if the other religion seems exotic and we assume that our own tradition can't possibly be so interesting. And so this morning, I'm going to tell you a story from our own tradition, one that I've come to believe is a really important one but that often goes undiscovered. It was certainly like that for me. I have been an active churchgoer my entire life, but it wasn't until I was in seminary that I came to know this story and to see how important it is. I imagine that's true for a lot of people. Many Christians don't talk often about this story, but ministers love it. Why? I think that's because in this story, in a few short verses, we see a whole bunch of important ideas pulled together in one place. It's like if you understand this story well, you will understand a lot about the meaning of Christian faith. And the story is commonly called the walk to Emmaus. So this story comes to us in the Gospel according to Luke. It happens right after the story of the resurrection. And in it, a couple of disciples are walking along the road. They've left Jerusalem. They're headed to a small village called Emmaus. It's said to be about a seven-mile walk. The story includes a few little details that are intriguing. They're just sort of fun to talk about if you like trivia in the Bible. At the end of the story, we will hear that these two disciples go back to Jerusalem and they report to the other eleven. And that hints that there might have been more than twelve disciples. That's an invitation that's important to think about, not only in terms of the biblical history, but the possibility that you and me might think of ourselves as disciples followers of Jesus. It wasn't just these 12 men named in the stories long ago. There's also some strong scholarly conjecture that Cleopas, the only one in this story who is mentioned by name, that he is probably walking along with his wife. You see, there's no name given to the companion. It's said that there are two disciples, but only one of them is named. Unfortunately, there are a lot of women who go without being named in the scripture. So the scholars think there's good reason to believe that Cleopas' companion was a woman, his spouse. And that opens us up to all kinds of realizations 
that the disciples could very well have been a community full of women as well as men. And so the first thing that pastors love about this story, I bring these two points about to say it, is that it just teaches us to look deeper for some more interesting things about who the disciples were, to try to lay aside some of our common assumptions about that. But back to the story itself, Cleopas and his wife, sorry the Bible doesn't tell us her name, they are walking along the road, And this is right after Luke has told the stories of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so the story opens saying that this couple are walking along talking about all of these things that have taken place. And as they walk, they are joined by Jesus, who begins to walk along beside them. But the text says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. To them, this is just some stranger they meet along the road. As he comes alongside them, he asks what they are talking about as they walk along the road, and they respond with amazement, citing how big a deal it is that just this past day or so, Jesus was crucified, and they indicate who he was and that everyone in Jerusalem was talking about it. They are in disbelief that this stranger does not know. Well, as it turns out, the stranger does know all about it. He just has a different take on it than they do. Cleopas and his wife, for their part, they have been taken by surprise by the crucifixion, and they are grieving. They have experienced the violent death of their teacher and friend, and though they mention the empty tomb, though they mention the news they got from some friends in their group that he had been raised from the dead, it is clear from their response that they don't believe it. They are still mourning. They are disappointed. And they say that they thought he was the one who had come to give hope to the world, but they must have been mistaken. So in their telling of the story we see that among the first disciples, the ones who were there in the flesh, the idea of the resurrection was really hard to believe. And if you find it hard to believe, you are in good company not only today, but right at the time and in the very place where that story happened. Well, now that the couple have told their version of the story, the stranger begins to tell his, and it turns out that he is a really good storyteller and an extraordinary teacher. They have no idea who this stranger is, but he starts to tell his version of the story, and he does so by placing it in the whole arc of the history of their people, and he helps them to make sense of things they've never thought of before. He starts way back with the history, the story of Moses and the delivery of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And he tells the stories of the prophets and the kings of Israel, weaving the story of Christ through those stories as well, all leading up to the life of Jesus himself, his ministry, his teaching, his death on the cross, his promised resurrection. And in all of this, Though it takes hours to tell it as the three of them walk slowly along the road, 
And even though the stories are filled with great tragedy along the way, the two disciples find that they cannot stop listening to this stranger. So well told is the story that he is telling. So deep is his wisdom and his understanding. So powerful is his story about how God is shaping the world for good even in the midst of all the things with which we struggle. Well, eventually they come to the village of Emmaus, and the stranger who has been telling this amazing story, telling it as if it should have been completely obvious to them all along, he suggests that he still has further to go down the road, says how nice it was to meet you and to have some company along our walk. And then he makes as if he's going to go on to the next town. But of course, the two disciples cannot stand the thought of letting him go at that. And so they beg of this stranger to stay and to share supper with them. And thankfully, he agrees. Later that night, when they are at supper, they invite this new friend, this great teacher. They invite him to be the one to offer the blessing. And so as was their tradition, he takes the bread and the wine and he blesses and breaks and pours and he gives the meal to them. And at that moment, they realize who they are with. They remember suddenly the Last Supper, which is no longer the Last Supper, for this is Jesus it is him that has been with them all along. And that is why their hearts, it says, was, were burning within them from the moment he began to tell them the story of faith as the three of them walked along the road. Pastors love this story. We love it for a bunch of reasons. It shows us in beautiful, dramatic fashion something that we experience in our own walk of faith and something we often see in yours. It's hard to believe in resurrection. It's hard to believe in the saving power of God in the world. It's hard to believe in an arc of human history that bends toward goodness and mercy when so much of life seems to suggest otherwise. And this story also shows us that many of us have had little nudges along the way. That there's more to the world than what we can obviously see and more to know than what we currently understand. And even if we can't quite explain it, there have been moments in our lives where we've felt it. And this story says those moments are real. We get glimpses of the divine, glimpses of the kingdom of heaven in life in the same way that we break the bread and pour the cup and share the Lord's Supper over and over again. And we do so because of our hope that we might give, uh, get a glimpse of heaven. There are all kinds of moments in our lives that we get a sense that there's more there than we currently understand, that there's something about to be revealed to us that we cannot yet quite see. 
That's what happened on the road that day with those two disciples. And in giving this gift to those disciples, this we see is the way of Jesus Christ. It's an openness to being surprised by something you did not expect. Stories like this, stories of being surprised by God and shown something we did not expect, these stories happen all the time. I read a good one just this past week. It may not be the best story about it, but it's the most recent one I've heard because they come up all the time. Kevin O'Brien was the author. He's a Jesuit priest. He's a dean at the Santa Clara School of Theology. He tells the story about his journey from his first career into his second career in the priesthood. And he tells about a transformational thing that happened along the way. It was at the end of his first year of training. He was to be sent overseas for a summer. And based on his interest in Spanish and the many ministries the Jesuits have in Latin America, he asked to be sent to Bolivia. He thought he could be of help there. But in a way that he found completely bizarre, word came back from his superiors that he was, sent, he was headed to India to work in a hospital for people suffering or from or survivors of leprosy. He departed willingly, but skeptically, and he quickly found himself in a community where he had no language skills, no ability to solve acute medical problems, felt like he had nothing to offer. He met people who suffered from chronic blindness, whose hands and feet were permanently crippled, who were unable to stand and walk. And there he spent his mornings pushing patients around in wheelchairs, and he spent his afternoons entertaining children whose language he could not speak. And while it was all a bit novel at first, he quickly found himself surrounded by frustration and boredom. What could he do for these people? How was this sharing the love of Christ? Well, he tells the story in greater detail and with greater power than I will, but suffice it to say that, in his, that, that one day, his joyful and wise supervisor, who had been living in this com community for decades, he pulled him aside and he said to him, Kevin, you have to let them teach you something. Remember, he said, remember that the risen Lord appeared to his disciples with the marks of crucifixion still in his hands and his feet. And with their crippled hands and feet, the people here bring you the Lord. They have something to show you. And that invitation, challenging as it was, that opened Kevin O'Brien to an experience there that changed the rest of his life and shaped his ministry. Over time, he learned there to communicate by means other than words. 
for the very first time. He learned there to begin letting go of his awkwardness about the physical intimacy required to care for the patients. And he eventually found great joy in a ministry he had not seen coming at all. He discovered resurrection, and he found it in a very humble and unexpected place. I suspect that's what happens most of the time. For you and for me, resurrection is most often experienced not when we see something that happened to Jesus long ago and decide whether or not we're going to believe it. No, resurrection happens when we experience a surprising new discovery that we did not expect, a rebirth in our own lives and our own faith. You see, the fundamental question of faith is often the same as the question that meets us in this story about Emmaus. I wonder what God is trying to show me that I'm not expecting to see. So that's the story. And that's why pastors love it. It's a story that gives some unexpected hints at who might be a disciple. It's a, it's a story that gives us a way of understanding this mystery of resurrection. It's a story about the Lord's Supper that makes it a living meal rather than a story about something that happened long ago. It's a story about the reminder that we always get to resurrection through Good Friday. It's a story that is a reminder that faith is about showing us something new. And it's all there in this simple story, this everyday story about a stranger who met a married couple as they walked along the road. And so it's a story that welcomes us all to ask, how will Christ surprise me today, this week, this year, if I'm willing for my eyes to be opened. Amen.